0: Episode one hundred and five of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. The waiting is the hardest part. Let's start the show.
1: We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity.
0: So the jury's out, and we wait. At least as I tape this on Monday, the Chauvin trial has been given to the jury. It is now in their hands to come up with the verdict. And I think this whole country is on pins and needles. Look, I for one believe he is guilty. Uh, I agree with Pat Robertson, the wacko. This guy should be thrown under the jail, let alone put in jail. But we'll wait and see what they come back with. I I find it hard to believe he won't be found guilty of something, right? They gave them three options, manslaughter being uh, the lowest of those options. Second degree manslaughter. I guess he's charged with second degree murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. The toughest charge would be the second degree murder charge, which would put him in jail for 10 years. Of course, the prosecution is arguing that there are um, circumstances that warrant a longer sentence. So let's hope he gets charged. Let's hope he gets convicted of murder, second degree murder, uh, and we just move on from this. People celebrate the system actually working for once in this country, working for everyone. I, I am. Uh, I've been watching it. We've been talking about it here on the podcast. Um, it's been, it's been a troubling week for anybody who's watched it, and I can't imagine being a parent of an African American male. As you know, I, I am the parent of a um, uh, African American daughter, and I have a, an African American uh, two nieces and one nephew. And it's, uh, you know, to think about them facing this drives me insane, facing this bias in policing in America. And, And, you know, I know there are people out there that say that it doesn't exist. Now that we are confronted with it face on, we see it day in and day out. There can be no denying it. There can be no denying that that bias exists, whether it is overt. Whether these police officers wake up in the morning and say, I'm racist and I'm going to act on that racism. Or it's something that is underneath the surface. I have said this before on this show. I've said it on TV. I've written about this. I believe racism is not like a broken bone. It can't just be healed. You can't, you know, put a cast on it, wait a couple of months and heal it. You can't in America elect an African-American president and boom, racism's over. You can't give somebody racial equity training in their police force, and boom, racism is over. No, racism is like alcoholism or herpes. It is always there. It is beneath the surface, and yes, you may have been recovered. You may be doing everything you can to, uh, to address racism in our society, but it is still there. It is underneath the surface, and it could slip up and rise at any time consciously or unconsciously and, and and I think that's the problem here um, in America right now it's a big problem in policing. do I think that that you know all these police officers that are, we're seeing in these crimes, some of them are racist, I'm sure. but do I think all of them are racist? Do I think all of them are conscious racist? I don't. I think they are acting on unconscious bias that is beneath the surface and it presents itself in a stressful situation. They present themselves in a stressful situation, and that bias rules their judgment. And until we find a way to address that unconscious bias in people given great authority in this country over life and death situations, we're going to have more of these problems in America. And I think it's something that the police uh, need to address. I think we need to address it as a society. Um, The system that allows people like Derek Chauvin, I mean, Derek Chauvin, um, anyone who could act that depraved should never be in law enforcement. You cannot be somebody who's willing to put your knee on the neck of a human being for over a minute after they've stopped breathing, after they've lost a pulse. You can't be that person and be trusted with public safety. You can't be that person. So the system that's allowing people like him And then the two officers that stood around and watched him do it become cops in this country needs to change dramatically. And it needs to change dramatically now. We can't wait for this change because people are dying. There is significant social unrest that is a result of this. And I get it. The far right they're going to look at that social unrest and they're going to blame liberals and they're going to blame, they're going to say, you're stoking the flames of this social unrest. No, the guy who put his knee on the neck of an African-American man who was no longer resisting arrest until he died, he's the one who stoked the flames of this social unrest. That is what needs to change in America. This happens too often. The woman who mistaked her taser, and, and picked up a gun and shot somebody. The officer who arrived on scene saw a 13-year-old boy with his hands in the air and shot him anyway. That is what is causing social unrest in this country. The system that allows these people to become cops, these people who are cowards in a job that requires bravery, frankly. It, resi- it requires calmness, And bravery. And good judgment. These cops. When they pull out their guns. And they shoot unarmed people. Because they're afraid. It's because they're cowards. Let me be clear. As I can be. They are cowards. They are putting their safety. Over the safety of everybody else. And I get it. Policing is a dangerous job. But it is not the most dangerous job in America. It's not. I know it's a stressful job. I know we put a lot on police because quite frankly, every other budget in local government gets slashed, but police somehow doesn't. It is, uh, I know we put a lot on them and we need to change that too. They shouldn't be social counselors. I don't think they should be doing traffic stops anymore. I don't even think, I don't even understand why we have traffic stops anymore in most cities in this country. I don't think we need traffic stops we have cameras. We have uh, license plates, plate readers. We should be doing that. One of the great things that happened in New York over the last 10 years is we stopped having to go through toll booths here. You know how much delay in our lives there were because of toll booths? Now, whether you have an easy pass or not, there is something that takes a picture of your license plate and sends you a bill. Thank God. What a waste of time that was. What a waste of resources it is for highly paid armed police. And by the way, highly paid in most parts of this country. Let's be very clear: this fact that they think that you know this 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 nugget that's put out there that they don't get paid well—that is a ridiculous thing. Check out Nassau and Suffolk County and how much those cops make on Long Island. The fact that we have highly paid law enforcement personnel stopping people because they have a uh, an air freshener hanging from their rearview mirror or their their tag is expired. Or even speeding. Now, look, I get it. I want to have people out there making sure people aren't drinking and driving. I get that completely. Specially trained officers out there looking for DWs, That has to happen, right? But general traffic violations. Rolling through a stop sign. Speeding 10 miles over the uh, speed limit. Something that's not reckless. We're spending all this money. And every encounter, it appears, can go wrong. Something's got to give in America. Watching this trial, listening to the voices of people who have been telling their stories of horrible encounters with the police, which as a white male, hard for me to relate. I've had many encounters with the police in my life. Many encounters with the police in my life. Never, ever did I fear for my life. Not once. Never. And I and I can't say they were all good encounters. I never was abused. But I never feared. It's not the experience I've had with police. And again, I say this every week. I don't believe all police are bad. I don't even believe some of the people who wind up doing these crazy, horrible things intended when they woke up to do that. But there's this unconscious bias that lives in us all that needs to be addressed constantly. You need to be checking yourself. And if you're in a split-second make-a-decision mode, that could be, quote, life and death. Man, if you mess up that unconscious bias and allow that to drive your decision, somebody's going to get hurt. And clearly, what we're seeing in Uh, You know, I'm not even talking about Derek Chauvin because, quite frankly, Derek Chauvin, it wasn't a split-second decision. He was on the guy's neck for nine and a half minutes. This unfolded over about a 20-minute period, frankly. But we talk about the kid in Chicago who lost his life. We talk about uh, the the guy in um, the 21-year-old in Virginia who lost his life in a split-second decision where the woman pulled out her gun and shot him. Is unconscious bias playing a playing a part in, in, in those decisions? I find it hard to believe that it's not. So we have to figure out a way to train that and remind people of that. Or quite frankly, better yet, hire better people. We need to hire better people. There needs to be a better screening mechanism for the hiring of law enforcement officers. We saw over the weekend if you caught this on 60 minutes the oath keepers are saying we have plenty of people in law enforcement helping us out i don't doubt that so we need to be very vigilant on this issue this verdict's going to come out and um you know i hope people are are happy with it i hope that this jury does the right thing it is clear to me that this guy acted with malice aforethought and he needs to go to jail for a very, very long time and send a message to others who would do the same thing. And that judge needs to throw the book at this guy. <sighs> I know. These have been some deep opening rants, America, and I, I, I really do. Look, I, I want to point this out. We had a great first quarter. Um, my best numbers ever uh, put us in a good ballpark here. And it's really, excuse me, fourth quarter. I don't have my first quarter numbers yet. Uh, it really puts us in a good position going forward. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, tell friends about this podcast. I got a great guest today. Um, very, very good reporter with Raw Story, Sarah Burr. She's been on the show before. Uh, had her on my radio show. It's a little rough edit in one spot because, you know, it's a radio show. I do four segments. I mold them into one uh, for the podcast Um, But she was on the radio show last week and we were talking about this. We were talking about, um, you know, the whole situation that came down with Paul Manafort in Russia. You might have forgotten it by now. The the news moves so fast Uh, and a lot of other things. Sarah's great, great guest. So listen to this interview and uh, I'll be right back uh, at the end of it to uh, wrap up the show. Joining me now is a good friend of the show. Good friend of mine who I've never met. Another one of my friends I've never met. Sarah Burris is a editor at RawStory.com and, uh, and and a very fun Twitter friend of mine. Uh, she retweets all my stuff. I retweet all her stuff. It's great. It's working out. How you doing, Sarah?
1: <laughs> I'm good. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm doing great. I mean, it's been a crazy it's been a crazy day, right? It seems like every day you thought that things would calm down after the former guy went went back to Mar-a-Lago and and to eat some nice chocolate cake. Uh, But it it hasn't, has it?
1: (laughs) No. And see, I actually knew it wouldn't calm down because there are way too many lawsuits that are going on for things to be cool. Yeah. So I knew once we got through, you know, once we got through all of those lawsuits, then things I feel like are going to calm down. But again, like, this is one of those things that could go on for a very, very long time.
0: Well, there's always another lawsuit, right? That's what I, there's always another lawsuit. Like I was talking earlier in the show, there's always another, you know, officer killing innocent kid thing going on. It seems like every day, Sarah, there's another shooting that is just horrifying to watch. I mean, today we're looking at this kid in Chicago that was killed by a police officer. So we're not going to ever get past this.
1: No, I really wish we would. I wish that there could be some kind of moment of realization where people understand, Oh gee, maybe my life really isn't all that threatened. Um, I wish there would be some sort of understanding and training where, um, where, where cops are taught, look, if the guy runs, there's no need to shoot and kill him because it turns out you probably already have his information and it's not like the dude's running to Mexico.
0: Right. Where are they going to go? That
1: was, That was the thing about um, uh, Dante Wright, where it's just like, you had his name, you had his tag number, you had his car, you had his phone, you had his girlfriend, you had his mom on the phone giving you insurance information. If the guy's going to run, he's not getting that far.
0: Right, 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 right. It's like,
1: what is the need to, to freak him out and make, you know, run or want to run? What's the need to even pull the taser on the guy? You could totally de-escalate like the situation and be like, "Hey, man, are are you getting your insurance on your car? Like, what's going on here?" I did a,
0: a rant. I did a rant at the beginning of the show. Police officers got to get back to their motto of to protect and serve, right? Uh-huh. And and to protect is the first thing, right? You're not there to protect yourself. You're there to protect right. the public, right? And, and serve you're the public.
1: The public, yeah. You are a public servant. Like you are not serving yourself. You are not serving like. You you are a person who is part of the community apparatus. Um, And my uncle, my great uncle, used to be a cop. He's a retired Oklahoma City policeman. And he's really frustrated hearing about these. He's a crazy right wing nut bar. Right. He hates these things because he's like, this is not the way you do policing. And he believed very strongly in this idea of you need to walk in your neighborhood, you need to meet the people on your beat, you need to understand your community and create relationships because one, you want people to not be afraid to call the police whenever something is legitimate right. going on. And but you also want to be able to, you know, it protects you overall. If somebody, you know, if you're good friends with somebody and and you got to like bring them in because they they're like, I don't know, selling heroin or whatever. And you're like, come on, Brian, like, let's do this. You can't be selling heroin on fifth street anymore. You know, like it's yeah. not, it's a very casual way of bringing somebody in instead of being like, get on the ground. Put
0: yeah. 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 We've become this like, you know, I think they've watched, I think people who've grown up with all these cop shows, uh, don't understand that. And they become cops for the wrong reasons. We don't have, you know, I, and I, again, I don't want to say everybody, you know, I, I feel like I, I feel like too many people say all these cops are all bad. I don't think all cops are bad, but I do think the good cops need to start calling out the bad cops because they know who they are, right? I am sure that if we go through Derek Chauvin's, you know, uh, fellow police officers on the force and ask them questions about them, it would have been, they, none of them would have been surprised by his actions.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I think too... There, there's this whole idea of um, white supremacist groups trying to get invo- more involved in law enforcement, trying to get more jobs in law enforcement, and that has gone on for a, a long time. It's not in one of those conspiracy theories. It isn't happening in massive numbers, right. but it's certainly something that should be considered you know, just like the the military is doing a serious investigation into the members of the military who may or may not be part of a militia or a white supremacist movement after they found so many people who are involved in the January 6th
0: thing. Yeah. And when you so, look at the fact that, you know, the, you know, 40 percent of Marines won't get the coronavirus vaccine. Right. You know, that should scare you to think, where are these people getting their news from? Where are they getting their information from that 40 percent of Marines and we can't order them right now because it's still under a temporary order to, you know, to to have this vaccine. But it's that's scary to me.
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. And these are people that, you know, are supposed to be, um, again, protecting our country, serving our country. And I, I worry about it's not just a, a matter of they're going to spread the virus. These are this is going to start hurting our ranks if a whole bunch of Marines start getting sick.
0: I mean, it's a, it's it's literally impacting our readiness. If you have 40 percent that won't take this vaccine and let's say that unit gets sick, that unit's gone. They're gone. They can't be. They can't be in combat. Uh, I. I don't understand. You know all these like groups out there that pretend to love America, that love freedom, that love the military. How are they not encouraging the military to do the right thing in this situation and get the shot?
1: I don't know, man. It's just it's the most bonkers thing in the world. I would say too, if they end up in the hospital, they're all of that is paid for by taxpayers. Yeah. So if you have, you know a like the coronavirus moved through an entire ship of, of Navy men. That's a huge cost for the American taxpayer. Not that we should consider, you know, like I'm more than happy to give you all of my tax money to take care of our soldiers, but come on, like get the damn vaccine.
0: I mean, it seems like something that should be easy to do. It seems like something that you have a, you know, have a, a group of people who are a captured audience. You should be able to convince them. Uh, that this is what they should be doing. Their commanding officers should be convincing them that this is what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. 40% is a huge, that's a scary number. Yeah. That says to me that there's 40% of the men in the military are somewhat anti-vaxxers. Where are they getting that information from? Well, they're getting it from the dark web more than likely. And that scares right. me because what else are they learning on the dark web?
1: Yep, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. We'll figure it out. It's going to be one of these things. Do you think that the, the, the coverage of the Chauvin trial has been... Good, bad, just right? What do you think?
1: I think it's been really good. Um, and the reason I, I view it that way is I just got back from Oklahoma last week and I was with my parents. Um, we had a, a friend, my best friend's mom passed away. Um, and so I had to go home for, um, to help her and funeral stuff. And and I, my grandmother, my stepdad's mother came to visit and that he and the, my grandmother were watching the trial and I'm just sort of like listening, you know, kind of on the periphery because I'm always curious. Like, what are they thinking? What are they, you know, you want to take your, the temperatures of your family members who um, tend to be a little bit more right. And, uh, and they all just were just like, man, that, that dude's guilty. He needs to go. He needs to be in jail. Yeah. So surprised.
0: And I think he's going to be found guilty. I, I, you know, I don't see how he gets off, frankly. And I'm a little surprised that he didn't take the stand. Now, I get it. There's a lot of good reasons not to take the stand in your own defense because it brings up your prior histories and things of that nature. But it looked to me like he was pretty dead in this trial. A lot of video of him yeah. on the uh, on George Floyd's neck shown from a lot of different angles. A lot of his fellow officers saying how he was completely in the wrong to do it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know. I I try to go up there and make these people think I'm a human, uh, you know, in the jury because he doesn't look like a human to me.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely not. And. Usually a lot of police officers, whenever they do something like this, they get out of it by saying, well, I, I reacted because I was afraid. I right. think my life was threatened. And he can't do that in this situation. Yeah, this yeah. one trial where it was the guy was handcuffed. He was laying on the ground. You were on top of him. And you were on top of him for almost 10 minutes.
0: Yeah. At yeah. what
1: point were you scared? The right. whole thing was on video. Everybody witnessed what happened and captured that moment. And they know your life was not threatened. They know that there was no reason for you to kneel on the sky for that long. Yeah. I and mean, the dude was on the... What was he going to do? He, he wasn't was handcuffed on the ground.
0: He wasn't going anywhere. Sarah, let's talk for a minute or two about this whole situation with Paul Manafort and, uh, and Russia and this stuff that came out today that basically says, yeah, collusion. There was definitely collusion, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, this is finally the first time we legitimately have evidence that, um, that the Trump campaign was giving information to Russia and Russia was using it to help with the 2016 election. And it's now documented and it's just like, holy crap, we, we finally got it after all these years. Um, you know, we finally got there and I'm just shocked as hell to uh, to hear about it, but it, I mean, it's just,
0: this is huge. This I, is I'm huge. not shocked at all. I mean, this is basically what they said today appears to be what we were saying two years ago, right? I mean, we were saying that Paul Manafort gave internal polling to Constantine uh, Kalimnik, who is a Russian spy. Like, it was said two years ago. I don't understand how the Mueller report
1: didn't make a bigger deal out of it. Well, the thing, the thing is, is, what's different is we actually have proof of it now. Right, right. And before it was just like, oh, we, we heard that this happened, but there was no confirmed evidence. Right. And that was um, when when uh, one of Mueller's prosecutors, Andrew Weissman, I was talking about it today. He said, look, you know, if we, if we had that evidence, by golly, we would have used it. So why didn't, they,
0: how couldn't they couldn't get that evidence? What stopped them from getting that evidence?
1: That's my question, because when one of the things that Weisman said, too, is the Biden camp or the Biden administration has been in office for like five minutes. So it's not like they walked through the door, immediately picked up a file marked Trump's Russia secret, you know, and fanned through it and found this. This was something that had to have been known by the Justice Department. Right. Bill Barr had to have known that this was there. And the question really is who knew, why didn't it come out? Why wasn't it given to Bob Mueller? Um, and why didn't the American people know about it until after Trump was out of office?
0: And I haven't seen any statements from Bob Mueller since this came out. Have you?
1: No, I haven't. But I have to believe that that dude's going to be saying something, right? You would I think. Mean, you would think.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, this is, look, I, I've been on many campaigns. Okay, many campaigns. You don't give your internal polling to anyone. You don't even give it to everybody on the campaign. Yeah. So the fact if that. If you're a deputy level, you're sure as hell the. Yeah. The fact, that, the fact that this guy was giving it to Konstantin Kalimnik so that the Russians could help. That's collusion. Collusion. I'm sorry. That's enough. That to me yeah. is enough. And Donald Trump knew it and he pardoned the guy. And that's the okay. thing that drives me insane.
1: Well, that, too, is a question, um, because if Donald Trump pardoned him with the expectation that he was not going to squeal on um, on him, then the pardon isn't valid. Um, and that's a whole other investigation that I think will probably move forward next, just to add to the, you know, large buckets that we're carrying of Trump uh, scandals. and
0: Yeah, you know, well, how much do you want to right bet? Now. How much do you want to bet, Sarah? We should make a nice little wager, you and I. That sometime in the next year, maybe 18 months, the former guy will travel to Russia to give a speech, and he will be paid north of, I'm going to say, $50 million for that speech. How much do you want to bet me that that happens?
1: You know, I wonder if he would even be allowed out of the country.
0: He is going to be allowed out of the country. You can't keep a former because president he's- from traveling.
1: I mean, you've got a ton of, of
0: lawsuits going on right now. Yeah, he, look, I know that every liberal thinks that Donald Trump's going to jail and that he's going to be bankrupt. No, I
1: don't know if
0: and that he's going gonna be, to be he's going to be barred from travel. It's never going to happen. Donald Trump's never going to jail. These lawsuits will come and go. The guy's been sued his whole life. Uh, he'll settle most of them. He won't go broke. Um, and I guarantee you that sometime in the next year to 18 months, that man will be on a plane to Russia to give a speech. 50 million plus will be the total. You watch.
1: Man, if that happens, I mean, you got to believe that there's going to be uh, a nice American spy who goes along with that and uh, is sitting there watching this and and knows that all of this is happening. And that's going to be part of another investigation.
0: Oh, it's not going to be a, um, a secret. He's not this is not going to happen in secret. He's not going to care who knows. This is his payback. This is his payback to Putin for all of the chaos he's caused in this country. Putin's going to pay him back fifty million. In, Vladimir Putin is estimated to be worth two hundred billion dollars. He's it's a kleptocracy. The the Russia they are they are they could fifty million it could be a hundred million it could be a billion. They're going to pay this guy an astronomical amount of money to give a speech. I guarantee it. I
1: guarantee it. No sense to me. Why doesn't he just buy a bunch of Trump property?
0: He's already done that. You know, He's already done that. It's
1: the same kind of deal. They bought a couple of, especially now because, you know, Trump Tower is, is hurting. Because
0: uh-huh. he, here's the thing okay, buying property is not Putin saying, see, I had him. See, America. Putin wants everybody to know who Donald Trump works really? for. Right? Yeah. So that's my theory. Maybe it doesn't happen, but look. I'm a pundit, Sarah, so I have to make big, (laughs) bold statements. And sometimes they come true, and people go, I could say, remember when I said that? And most of the time, they don't come true, and nobody remembers. (laughs) So The only person who cares about what I said is me. Now, in the moment, my audience is like, wow, that's something we should think about. But like a year from now, when Donald Trump goes over there and I play this tape, I'm going to sound like a freaking genius. But if he <laughs> never goes there, nobody will ever remember. <laughs> I, I, convenient. Yeah, I mean, I know you cover the news, right? And, and you cover people like me and others on TV. So I'm just giving you our inside game. The best pundits make big, bold predictions all the time. And they are mostly wrong. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> well, my big, bold prediction is that Trump is going to end up completely bankrupt. Um, because already we know that the dude owes a huge amount of money. His businesses are not doing very well. And he's going to end up in a huge you know, thing with the uh, uh, Manhattan prosecutor. And even if he doesn't go to jail over that, that's going to be a hefty fine. He's never going to be bankrupt.
0: So, I'll tell you why. I, I know what I make for a speech. I won't say it on the air. Uh, he's going to make a million dollars a speech. Period.
1: That's the only way he's going to be able to fund it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. You make You make
0: 10 speeches a month. That's 10 mil. Right.
1: But, I mean, but too, like he's trying to raise all this money through his pack. And he is, yeah, the he is the raising, he is
0: raising the money from the pack and they're not going to be able to take that money.
1: <laughs> it's like, but that money is now drying up because all of those big donors who showed up at Mar-a-Lago last weekend, who heard him rant and rave about Republicans, they're kind of thinking maybe this was a bad idea for them to give money.
0: I think they know it's a bad idea to keep him around. I think he's more problems for the party than he's worth because I don't think he's going to run again, but he's sure as hell going to pretend he's going to run again for a long time. And that is going to bother every Republican. Sarah was just telling me how I'm one of the ugliest men on cable uh, on the break. (laughs) Uh, you know, and she thinks I should get a wig or something. I don't, I don't remember what you're saying, but, and, you know, you know, whose politics is ugly? Tucker Carlson. And I, you know, I used to do his show every week. I think that's how you met me. Uh, you were covering some segment I did on that show. And I haven't done it. Like I haven't done it since the former guy said to him, "I shouldn't do it." I'll be honest with you. I think, uh, and he said to Fox that they shouldn't have me on. He did it on Twitter. Everybody saw him say it. So, but I, you know, most of Fox kept me on. Tucker didn't. Uh, and I've known Tucker for 15 years. I knew him before he had his show. And uh, his politics, I feel, have been going down the rabbit hole of destruction over the last you know, two years or so. I mean, they've gotten worse and worse and worse. He's always been to the right. But the stuff he's been coming out lately, you know, his anti-vaxxer stuff, his white supremacy stuff, it's downright dangerous.
1: Yeah. The anti-vaxxer stuff in particular, but the, the white supremacy stuff, I feel like has been sort of bubbling under the radar a little bit. He will use these, uh, these phrases or these... um you know, words that are known among the white supremacist community and then make them feel like he is one of them. Yeah. And I think that's what happened with the the idea of the um white replacement theory. Yeah. I mean he'll try to
0: it's couch opposite. it and say it's not just white replace whites who are being replaced, it's people of all color who are here are being replaced. But that's not what he means. And he knows who right. he knows who he's talking to.
1: Yeah. And and the way that he talked about it on the show last week was, you know, he tried to kind of walk and dance around it and basically said, well, you know, I'm not saying this except that I'm saying
0: this. And. Like- yeah. I mean, that's the way he does everything. He does it with the anti-vax. I'm not saying you shouldn't yeah. get a vaccine, but let me have this guy on here who knows nothing about science, who writes bad spy novels to tell you about how, why you shouldn't get a vaccine or why you shouldn't have a vaccine passport.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I feel like Tucker is you know, he's really just being part of who I think he wants to be maybe in the, like he wants to be a big player in the white supremacist movement. Um, now that he sees that it's, it's coming out of the closet, um, you know, people are, are coming out from under the hoods and wearing their keys and holding their tiki torches and they're not afraid of of hiding anymore.
0: And they look a lot like him, frankly. And and it's, It's kind of scary because, you know, the guy has enough money. He had enough money before he was in TV. He's like an heir to the Swanson TV dinner fortune. Um, If there is such a thing. Um, There was. There was. I'll never eat a hungry man again. Salisbury steak is off my diet for good. Just saying. Um, it's, It's to me... Uh, kind of ridiculous. This is a guy who was so afraid of not being on TV. He lost his CNN Crossfire show when Jon Stewart tore him to pieces. And he had been clawing his way back on TV ever since. And he finally got a shot to host a primetime show again three years ago. And I think this is just his way of saying, I'm not gonna go no matter what. I'm gonna, if this is the audience that's gonna get me three and a half million viewers and make me number one on cable, I'm gonna take it.
1: Yeah. And I wondered if there, how much of this is real? You know, you talked about that you knew him 15 years ago. I've heard from people who knew him, you know, 20 and 30 years ago who don't believe that any of this is real. I
0: don't believe it's It's real.
1: Just an opportunist, you know, BS where he's trying to play a role. He's basically an actor who's, who's playing a crazy right-wing pundit on Fox News.
0: I I'm telling you right now, that's what I think. I've known him for a long time. Used to love hanging out with him in the green room. Did a lot of panels with him, right, uh, before he was hosting. Did a lot of panels with him. Always found him entertaining. Found him fun to talk to in the green room. Never in a million years would I ever say that this is a guy who's going to push white supremacist theory on his show. Never. Mm-hmm. And And, you know, and I got it. I mean, I saw John Oliver's piece on him a couple of weeks ago where, you know, he had those kind of thoughts, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, but I don't know. I I just didn't think of him as that kind of guy, but I do think it's this fear of losing that spot because he's lost it before. He's lost it twice. He lost it at MSNBC when it first came on and then he lost it at CNN. And you know, here he is, right. He's just in this spot where he's like, I've got it. I want to keep it.
1: I don't understand why it matters. He's got the daily caller. He could have his own show streaming. It's not like you know, especially since Fox has been losing ratings like crazy because Trump hates them and he moved over to Newsmax and OAN. Yeah. Um, and once, so I, I feel like this is one of those opportunities where I don't know why Tucker isn't just being like, oh, I'm going to appeal to a whole new uh, generation of conservatives who are not going to die in 10 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, he could also go back to what he was, you know, like this kind yeah. of bow tie wearing thoughtful almost conservative not this kind of like race baiting i mean it's it's pathetic frankly and and the the anti-vaxxer stuff scares me even more
1: yeah i mean one of the things about him though is that he's actually not an idiot he's he's a reasonably intelligent person and the fact that he's playing an idiot just blows my mind it's like do you realize how stupid you look yeah I, I just would be embarrassed for the world to see me that way and to view me that way yeah but you know I'm, I, I'm of shame. And I, I guess
0: he doesn't. I used to hate when I'd go on Tucker and I'd beat him in a debate. And then like 20 minutes later, the daily caller would write something about the debate about how I, you know, he would like it would try to make it look like I'd be texting all my friends in the media. Hey, write something about this hit here, here, here. You know, it, was, it was like, I don't, I, I mean, it's just like, it's just crazy. Uh, you know, the way he is, he, it, it, I thought about that. I'm like, man, I just beat this guy up in a debate. It was a fair debate. It, not even a fair debate. It's his show, his topics. I'm just better at the topic than him. And he would then try to have his people write a story bashing me.
1: And now it's sort of become that at the Washington Examiner and Federalist and those guys too. I, I notice a lot, you know, because I have to watch this stuff all the time. Um, whenever I look at their websites, they'll try and cover a panel uh, you know, and, and twist it around to something totally different. And it's like, you idiot. I saw that. That's yeah. They did it about my debate with Mercedes Schlapp
0: two weeks ago. They tried to make it look like I was being a sexist. Yeah. Could you imagine? I'm not, I'm in a different city from her and we're fighting about a topic and they're saying I was rude to her. What? Wow. Why? Cause sure, I called of her of a course.
1: grifter. She is
0: a grifter. <laughs>
1: it's like, give me a break. And, and, I just feel bad for her that she's such a snowflake that she can't handle going up against you.
0: Yeah, it's so hard. I'm back with Sarah Burris doing the full hour, only the third woman in history of the Chris Han show to do the full hour since I've gone to these uh to the network clock. I I should say since I've gone to the network clock cuz you know before I was a network show, Sarah, I used to do 21 minute blocks and sometimes I would just do two blocks. So it's <laughs> in an hour. So but you since I've gone what? to the, since I've gone to the network clock two years ago, I've uh, only had three women go the full hour and only one man, his name is Anthony Scaramucci, and he's a damn good interview. Uh-huh. <laughs> the mooch. Uh, he is.
1: And he, I am fascinated by him. I cannot, every time he's on something, I just can't look away.
0: He's good. He's good TV. He knows how to do good TV. He was good TV before he met Trump. He used to. I used to do Fox business with him like 20 years, 10, 10 years ago. Uh, so Sarah, we were talking about like my, I want to talk to you a little bit about my interview with Mercedes Schlapp, because, you know, in addition to all of the press I got, like the right wing press tried to make it look like I was being sexist and you're a millennial, right? (laughs) And, and I, and you're a woman and you're a bit of a feminist, I think. I mean, I've had some conversations with you off the air and I think that even though your mom's a bit of a conservative, she seems to be a bit of a feminist too,
1: and, oh yeah, we're both hella feminist. Yeah,
0: you're a feminist. Now, did you think that I was doing anything sexist in that debate?
1: No, absolutely not. And it really hacks me off that uh, that women try and use these arguments because it it diminishes the idea of feminism whenever you're like, Oh, you're beating up on me because you're you're confronting me and it's just like, No, you idiot, stand up like a woman. Get your, get your ovaries in gear and, and fight back. Yeah. Know the information. If you're not smart enough to to battle with somebody, then don't get on TV. Yeah. And not for nothing. We were on TV
0: to fight. We weren't on TV to like have a nice conversation. We were on TV to debate each other over an issue.
1: And we were debating. Over and over again. This is how, what I have seen the right wing do is it's like every time they go on TV, either they win or lose if they lose it's because um it was something unfair happened and that's the story right every uh washington examiner the federalist Breitbart, all of those guys that's the story that they push it's like oh my god she went down in flames we got to figure out something right that makes her look better and it's like no she's a snowflake stop being a snowflake and just you know woman up and and answer the questions and be better
0: yeah i mean it's just you know it, it, i didn't think I, I was like you know i read that and i was like i wanted to respond to her tweet because she tweeted out you disrespected women all women by cutting me off like first of all you cut me off <laughs> i shut yeah. you down i don't know what to tell you you spoke then when it was my turn to spoke Speak. I was speaking and you cut me off and I stopped you. <laughs> so it's like, you know, cause I'm good at this. Been doing it a long time, been doing it with her a long time. <laughs> I mean, It's like, she knows how to debate me. It's so stupid. It's like, you know, I mean, I've debated Matt Schlapp and Mercedes Schlapp probably more than any married couple in the history of this country. It, it, it's just, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And, 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 and both of them are snowflakes. I think the entire conservative movement is snowflakes. I'll be completely honest with yeah. you; they are a bunch of whiny little snowflakes who melt when there is any pushback to their false, fake reality, and it's driving me a little crazy. And and what, what really drives me crazy? This isn't the first time that I've taken down some conservative icon, and then some other you know conservative newspaper trying to make it look like I lost when I destroyed Matt Gates on the Laura Ingram show. Mm-hmm. Matt Gates. Tweeted out the segment himself, saying, "Watch me take down unhinged liberal Chris Hahn. I'm like, really? Did you read Rolling Stone magazine's write up of the interview because it was very different than yours? And they are an objective oh source, not me. You know, it was, it was. That's
1: so sad. Oh my gosh. Oh, Google it. Say- Google
0: it. It's there. <laughs>
1: I will say um, one of my favorite people is I love it when Kellyanne Conway does debates because the thing about Kellyanne is if she's losing, she just makes stuff up. Oh, and yeah. It's like, you know, that takes guts. That really takes guts because you have to assume that the person across from you doesn't know that you're making stuff up and that they're not going to call you on it. And, you know, that is I, a
0: relatively recent phenomenon with her. You know, I debated her before she worked for Trump many times, and I debated her in studio. I always found her lovely, no joke, uh, and she was smart and hard to debate because she had a lot of facts—real facts, real facts mm-hmm. not not alternative facts, right? Uh, and, and she was difficult to debate. But remember, this is a time before Trump. Long before Trump, quite frankly, when conservatives actually had some conservatism, had some basis in reality. They weren't as divorced from reality as they became over the last five years. Uh, you know, that's the problem we have with these debates. It's divorced from reality. You know, they don't have any real. Real basis in fact and what they're talking about so it's almost hard to debate when you see people like marjorie taylor green challenging aoc to a debate it's like why debate why would aoc debate marjorie taylor green marjorie taylor green's gonna make crap up and then pretend she won the debate even though she's gonna lie her way through it
1: and two i mean one of the comments that i made back to her was dude just because you don't have anything to do doesn't mean that aoc doesn't
0: yeah aoc's got committee assignments she's got Stuff to do. You bleep that, right? Good. He got it. (laughs) She's got stuff to do. She's busy. She's a busy person. She's got a district that cares about what she does. She's on the phone trying to make things happen. She's also in the majority, uh, at least for now. So, all right, I got about a minute. Well, go ahead. I was going to say, too, the other thing she
1: does is she really helps other candidates. and. You know, for somebody who's a freshman in Congress to step up and be like, I will help every single one of uh, our our progressive leaders uh, make sure that they've got money in their campaign coffers and get them reelected. It's like, yeah, team player. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah, she is a team player. All right, I got a minute left for you. What are you going to be watching for the next week?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, I'm going to be looking for the Chauvin verdict. Um, and I honest to God, I think he's going to be guilty. And, um, if he's not guilty, it's gonna be a thing, it's
0: yeah, it's gonna be huge. It's gonna be a real bad um, thing, yeah, for sure,
1: and that really makes me sad, but yeah. i I can't imagine that it wouldn't be that he wouldn't be guilty. He's he gonna be team just that was some of the worst lawyers I've ever seen. They were like, bad. I did better at my mock trial in high school
0: <laughs> they, i I'm sure you did. I'm sure you presented a fantastic case. Uh, in the who stole the Twinkies out of the locker uh, case uh, that you were debating in mock trial in high school.
1: It was an amusement park, and we got nice nationally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Sarah Burris, follow her on Twitter. She's at Sarah Burris on Twitter. And Raw Story is a great place if you want to follow news and media. They are constantly posting. Sarah Burris, thanks for joining me. I hope you like Sarah Burr. She's awesome. Make sure you check out Raw Story. Great uh, news aggregator, and they follow a lot of media. They're fantastic. They do a lot of uh, columns. They've got some great stuff. So check them out. Check out Sarah particularly. She's one of my favorite people on Raw Story. I've had other people from Raw Story on, but Sarah seems to be the one I keep going back to because she's awesome. So, you yeah, know, I'm on edge, man. I, uh, I am on edge. It's Monday night as I'm recording this, as you all who've listened to me a lot know. Um, and I just want the right thing to be done. I want justice to be served equally in America. And the track record of police in this situation doesn't suggest that justice will be served. Now, it seems to be an open and shut case, and the fact that the entire police department lined up to Accuse This person and, and be witnesses against this person makes a big difference. I think I thought when uh, the prosecution said this is not a trial of the police itself, but of this person, I think that helps convince the jury. Now, I do think that, like I said in the opening statement tonight, a lot needs to be discussed about policing in the United States of America and how we can, you know, really just be honest with ourselves and address the unconscious bias that we all possess and do something to make sure people have that in check when they are in positions of great power, particularly in life and death situations. And I think that, quite frankly, means we need to hire the right people and we need to screen them and then we need to train them. So we need to train them extensively. Um, you know, I think that we, we rush these people into these difficult situations and they learn on the job, but I think that there needs to be more of a, you know, the police academy shouldn't just be a couple of months. It should be a couple of years and, and they should really learn the, r- learn the ropes and, and we should really screen people out during that process and really get to know them and understand who they are. Why are they doing this? Are they doing this to serve their community? Cause that's the kind of person we want. Or are they doing it to serve themselves? Are they doing it to serve some cause that might not be in the best interest of society? Are their biases present? Are they ready to acknowledge their unconscious bias so that they don't act on it? I mean, I'm not an expert on this. Uh, this is; These are just things I believe. And uh, I, I'm praying that the jury comes back with a guilty verdict on all three counts, frankly. This man needs to go to jail, and he needs to go to jail for a long time, and he needs to send a message to others that this is not going to be tolerated in America anymore. This was not a good cop. He was not a good cop having a bad day. He was a bad guy who did a horrible thing, and there's a dead person for it who shouldn't be dead. Period. And it happens too often, and now it's happening on tape, and we're seeing it, and it's thrown in our face, and it is making us all extremely angry if we believe in justice in this country, which I do, and I know if you're listening to this podcast, you do. So I don't want to dwell, I don't wanna I don't want to rehash what I just said. Um I do appreciate all the support you've been giving me. Um I really, really do. It's it's truly fantastic. So just please tell a friend about this podcast and follow me on Twitter at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. And I'm going to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth, America. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it you for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.